Welcome to this BJZ podcast, and I'm delighted to be with Pedro Sullivan. He's a professor in the School of Physiotherapy at Curtin University. He's renowned internationally as a back pain clinician, and he's got an active private practice where he's at Body Logic in Perth, in Australia. He's very prominent on the keynote speaker circuit, and it's great to have a private chat uh, with Peter uh, for the BJSM today. Thanks, Cameron. Great to be here. We're in Aspatar Clinic in Doha, and uh, Peter's visiting, and we had the pleasure of hearing Peter do a a keynote lecture this morning, a Tuesday morning lecture as it is at uh, Aspatar in in Doha. And Peter, you shared the discussion about a difficult case, and you manage difficult cases of back pain. So let's go through the case and uh, share your approach, and our listeners will be fascinated to hear from you directly. So in this case, you said that there was a very active cyclist a sports scientist, someone who's very busy, new family, a lot of pressures in his life, and he felt his back go during a 160-kilometer race, and he first thought actually that he had a hamstring injury or something like that, Correct. and then he realized later that um, maybe it was coming from his back. Tell us about that scenario, and I know you didn't see him immediately, but tell us about that story. So um, this case, actually, I saw last year, uh, when I did another talk at Aspatar, and uh, he was a sports uh, scientist um, uh, who'd had this problem, uh, developed a problem 18 months earlier. Uh, as you say, he was cycling, developed some buttock pain, progressed into the leg, um, and then became really quite severely disabled with his pain. Had an MRI scan, showed two degenerate discs with, fa- uh, with disc bulges, uh, and the lower one was considered to be uh, a driver of his pain. Uh, he had failed conservative treatment, ended up with a discectomy. Uh, two, two weeks later, the pain had come back to the same level that it was before. Uh, and then he started going down a roller coaster of getting put on some pretty heavy medication, trying and failing different kinds of, um, uh, of rehabilitation therapies, uh, he'd been given advice that basically he had to stop his career as a um, triathlete. So he was doing a lot of uh, cycling and running, swimming. Uh, he'd been told he shouldn't run more than 10 kilometers. Uh, he was struggling to sit at work. Uh, we had in a lot of pain uh, and was really at a point where he thought he was stuck. So sort of a whole lot of advice. And this is a pretty common story we hear with back pain. You know, it could be back or back and leg uh, where... The pathology is treated, but the pain persists, and various treatments are administered, and, and, and it's not working, and so he's sort of caught at a crux or a crisis point. So that was this, the point where I got to see um, uh, this case and basically try and pull the pieces out of the story. Uh, and I think that his case highlights a number of really important facts that, you know, essentially he got a really early diagnosis for based on radiology. Um, uh, showed some changes on a scan that we know are not strongly predictive and cor- don't correlate well with pain and disability. He was given a message around protecting your back and should avoid doing exercise, etc. He became very guarded and protective of his back. It was you know holding his mus- trunk muscles very tense, holding very rigid erect postures. Found it very difficult, very difficult to relax. Uh, and then this kind of cascades into this whole process of frustration, uh, lack of sleep. Um, inactivity, still trying to work hard, so sitting a lot, so a lot of sedentary behaviours but not being physically active uh, and then losing hope. Uh, and, and part of that whole cocktail, of course, we know is a 
nasty cocktail that can both peripherally insensitize the system. So top down, um, you know, he's going crazy, not being able to be active, a guy who's used to being active, uh, starting to think that he can't be active again. Um, he's starting to think he can't do the things in life that give him meaning. He's starting to get down. He's not sleeping. Uh, and, and then he's holding himself in these abnormal postures that are probably locally sensitizing his system and he's stuck in a kind of a bit of a cocktail. And there'll be a lot of patients who will listen to this as well and they'll be able to relate to that. So yeah. um, sharing for the clinicians, when you're trying to unpick this, what are the things that you look for and listen to to unravel this complicated situation? Yeah, so my first question is, how did that start? You know, this is a guy who's been physically active for, you know, probably 15, 20 years, doing high-level sport, not a problem. Why did that happen? So what was, what was wrong with the environment at the time that set him up for that vulnerability? So, you know, you go, well, you were cycling. Is that all? Like you've cycled for how many years? So that was my first question. What was happening in your life? And as it transpired, he had two young kids uh, and he was working really hard. So he had, you know, big pressure at work. He had two young kids. He didn't want to shirk his responsibility as a young dad. So he was going to work, coming home, caring for the kids, then training either really early in the morning or really late at night and cutting his sleep down, got himself quite run down in that process, young kids who weren't sleeping well as well. So you're ending up in this situation where he's spending too much time upright, as you suggest, um, maybe not getting enough sleep, downtime, recovery time, uh, and just pushing himself a little bit too close to the edge. What we suspect with that is that, you know, we know allostatic stress load can have an impact potentially on um, uh, pain mechanisms in the body. So he goes out and rides a bike, races his mates, strains something in his back, and that could create a cocktail or an environment that sets off, you know, a massive alarm in the system. Uh, and that was his response. He got this pain that just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Then he starts worrying about it, gets it checked out, gets scanned, and then the whole thing kind of transposes. So the story in the context to me is really important because you're going, that doesn't seem right that he can just go and ride a bike and suddenly prolapse a disc for a guy who's fit, active, healthy. There's got to be a context that sits behind that. And then what about your physical examination? Did you do in detail yeah. so, in this case? So when I examined... Um, when I examined him, I mean, the first was to try and get an idea of what was happening in his head and in his day-to-day -day life. So as it was, you know, he wasn't in a good space. He believed that, you know, that these discs, he'd been told that these degenerate discs meant he couldn't go back to do his, you know, his uh, previous love of physical activity. So there were a whole lot of beliefs around that. One of the things I observed that um, in his workplace, he was sitting for like up to 10 hours a day at a desk, sitting bolt upright, really tense, not using a backrest, you know, highly lordotic. And, and we know that those postures result in high levels of co-contraction through the back and abdominal wall. That induces compressive loading on pain-sensitive structures. He wasn't veering his posture easily. He couldn't relax his spine. Um, he was also saying that when he tried to run or he tried to bike, he'd just get this ramping up of pain. And what we observed with him is when, he, when we got him to do that, we observed that he was really tense through his abdominal wall and upper chest breathing. So essentially he's creating this high level co-contraction through his back and it was just irritating him. So the more he did, the worse he got. And then he was trying to hold these postures that weren't relaxed when he was doing these things. And it looked like that was an, a mechanism that was creating some kind of peripheral abnormal loading of these sensitive structures. 
So the second phase was then to break that down and say, well, let's examine you. And look, he had some signs of neural tissue sensitivity, but it wasn't marked. Uh, he was very tense through his back and abdominal wall. He couldn't relax it when he was lying down. Uh, so we took him through a sequence of getting him to just breathe into the belly, relax his back muscles, get him to drop out of lordosis, then took him back on the bike and then got him to uh, relax his posture, breathe using his diaphragm, not upper chest breathing, not hold his spine tense, and he found that actually he could cycle without this pain escalating. So that was like a window, and we often look for windows with people to say, is there something about your presentation we can modify to give the keys back to you? So we're interested in really giving people the control back, particularly when pain is persistent and disabling. And remember, this guy's on a lot of drugs to try and control his pain, it's not working. So to him, that gives him an insight to say, hang on a second, I've got some controllability over that. So then we sort of set up a plan to say, look, if you understand this, you're in a situation where you think you're damaged, you can't exercise, we know discs love movement. They love loading, they love movement. Let's get you moving. Let's get you when you're sitting at work to relax into your chair and not hold yourself so tense. Let give, let's get you to take regular breaks and go for walks and get yourself moving uh, and, and give, you, give you strategies to relax your body, but also to get you back doing the stuff you want to do in a normal way. So what were you doing previously when you rode a bike? Did you think about your back? Did you pull your tummy in? Of course you didn't. So we want to get you back to go into those same activities to think about how you might have done it before you had pain. So it's almost like taking the person back into that scenario. And what, we, what, what transpired from that, also be really, really systematic about giving yourself good sleep, good periods of rest, regular physical activity, and build your activity levels up over a period of time to being respective of your body's pain response, but seeing if you can modulate it. Uh, and essentially over a period of the last year, he's got back to full levels of physical activity. Sent me a, um, an email a couple of months ago to say he'd done a 160K bike ride at an average of 36Ks per hour, which to me is pretty impressive and something I'd be jealous of. <laughs> so, so to me, that story highlights the road into trouble and the road out of trouble. Um, you know, the, the pathologizing of pain and the fear that often goes with that and the ideas that protecting backs is good, I just think is so unhelpful. Where the belief that your body is something that loves to move in a normal, healthy way, respecting the fact that you need to have good, healthy lifestyle habits that form part of that process to unravel the system and let the whole body calm down, the nervous system calm down in that process. And Peter, that was a great success story. You know, from someone who was in a bad way, I mean, this is post-surgery um, pain, someone who's trying to function at a high level, and many people would think that was a lost cause the way he was getting Agreed. advice. So um, is it fair to say you think that the advice people get isn't always helpful? Well, I think we've given up on chronic pain. I honestly do. I think we have, as a healthcare profession, I think we've bought into this idea that these are structural changes that happen in the brain and the nervous system. You've got a degenerate disc, mate, you're going to have to live with it. So there's almost like this default that we're going, the best we can do is just to get you to accept it and find benefit in your life, you know, by doing a 10, 5, 10K bike ride. And of course, that's not okay for this guy. You know, he wants to be pushing himself hard. And, and I think we've almost bought into that by thinking that this is not something that can change. Well, we know... The nervous system is highly plastic. 
you know, structures love to be moved well and nurtured well and cared for. Uh, so we, we think there's a need for a different kind of narrative on pain. So clearly there are cases that are going to be way, way more complex and not everyone's going to have a great outcome like this guy. Um, but I think there are many who don't get the opportunity to go down that path. And how do you talk to your patients about uh, that the disc is good for moving, to be moved, and that uh, pain can be, you know, resolved? Like, how do you? What's some of the words you use for folks when you're in the clinic? Yeah, it's interesting. I think you tap into a really good um, uh, point. I mentioned this morning about some of the qualitative studies that have looked at the language we use and words like chronic or degeneration or wear and tear or instability can be really unhelpful, and they make people think that. Backs are like car tires, you know, the more you use them, the more you wear them out. In fact, you've got to preserve it, so the less you use it, the better it'll be. Where in actual fact, you know, we know with the human body that it's restorative, movement is restorative and, and it's protective and builds resilience. So we kind of try and shift people's thinking away from those very structural um, uh, views on the body as something that will wear out with time, which are really common community beliefs and probably healthcare practitioners' beliefs to actually seeing that the body is something that rejuvenates and regenerates uh, with being well looked after and used and, and, and exercised in a normal, healthy way. And you did tell me about another case where someone had an acute episode of back pain. And yeah. Uh, she was particularly worried about this. And then over the phone, you told her that she was going to get better in three days. Well, it was a great case because um, it was actually a, a guy who I treated previously for a back problem and his wife uh, had bent over to pick up their little one and had had this severe episode of pain and she was lying on the floor, couldn't move, screaming in tears and he got hold of my number. So he rang me up and he's going, my wife's on the floor, we think we should get an ambulance, we think she's got a ruptured disc. She's saying that her legs have gone numb and I'm going, and that, you know, pain's scary. I think what it highlights is pain is scary. And if you don't understand what pain means, it can really freak you out. So I go through a, you know, a, a um, kind of triage process in my brain and go, well, okay, let's just think about it. Have you had a history of back pain before? No, never had back pain before. So what's the context? So she's a mum of two kids, you know, this story again. She's been full on busy doing all that kind of stuff. Um, she's just been over to pick one of the little ones up, acute pain, and then it's just freaked out. Uh, and of course, the family's freaking out as well. Uh, and she's the sole care of, you know, the dad's busy with his work. And so there's all this pressure that you can see cascading around that. So first thing I said is, is it really numbness? Can you touch your legs for me? Yeah, can feel the legs. Okay, that's not numbness, but they feel numb. Grab a little, um, uh, a little needle and prick her in the, around the leg. Yep, she can feel that. Okay, so that's not numbness. So what often happens when you're freaking out with pain, you'll feel like you've got a disconnect from your lower limbs. That's not numbness. So you may have a perception you can't move them, but that's not like good shock. Um, so the first thing is it's a minor incident. Picked up the kids. She's done it lots of times. This episode, something happened, tripped the system. So I said, save yourself the... Um, trip to the hospital because they'll just drug you and send you home. Get a call out from a GP, get some medication, chill out, it's gonna be fine. It's highly unlikely it's anything serious and my bet is you'll be fine in a few days, it will calm down. So she then popped into my rooms uh, two days later walking in and said, how did you know? 
I'm feeling so much better and I've just come to see you to make sure that this doesn't recur again. Now that could have gone terribly wrong. You know, typically you get a case like that who someone with pain can make them really catastrophize or freak out. They go to emergency and I've seen these cases. They go to emergency, they get scanned. If you're unlucky, like most, you know, the, most, the majority of us have got stuff on an MRI scan. So we've all, most of us have got degenerate discs and disc bulges and annular tears. And then of course, if they get negative health message from that, we'll be careful with that and watch out for next time. They can then start this cascade of increased anxiety, fear, protective muscle guarding that can lead down the path that our other case went down. And I think, I think both cases are quite interesting because you can see the evolution of disability and how you can get out of trouble. And then you can see how the importance of really clear thinking and confident decision making in an acute episode of pain where you don't buy the catastrophe and stand yourself back and go, well, let's just think about this. Is it likely? Let's make sure we screen for the bad stuff, make sure there is no quarter equina sign, there's no radiculopathy, um, uh, and then just treat it like you would a nasty sprain. Nasty sprain of the ankle, nasty sprain of the back, uh, and, and you see the natural progression of this go well, I think, when you treat it in that way. So really we're hearing a positive message about back pain through a clinician point of view saying, you know, you can feel confident when you're treating people, you can make a big difference to their lives. Yeah, I think so. And um, one of the things I think I see when I get to, to work with um, young physiotherapists and even experienced physios is there's a huge amount of fear around backs. And um, uh, one of um, our PhD students, Sam Bunsley, has been doing some really interesting research around interviewing people with disabling back pain who've got high levels of fear. And we know that high levels of fear are associated with high levels of disability. And the stories they're telling uh, Sam uh, from her study really fit around these really catastrophic thoughts that are generated from health care practitioners messages around you disc worn out be careful you've got to take care of that if it hurts don't move um, you know if it hurts it's a sign of harm so these kinds of messages I think are really really unhelpful and I think they reflect our lack of confidence around dealing with back pain for some reason backs are thought to be different than ankles and knees and shoulders where in fact it's just another body part. And, and I do think, you know, we worry about the 1% where it could be serious, where there might be cord requiner. But in, the, in doing that, we have a great risk of pathologizing a, a really large group of people uh, where in fact the natural history should be good. Well, Peter, that's fantastic for our listeners to hear from you because you've got such tremendous experience. And there are thoughts that other podcast guests have suggested that uh, we've got to get people moving and uh, we've got to have practical exercises and we've got to empower people. You mentioned giving people the key for their management. And um, thanks for your time. Thanks very much, Karen. Pleasure. And so you can read more of Peter O'Sullivan's uh, work over the entire web, of course. You can follow BJSM on Twitter for updates about who our guests are and other links to sports medicine and physiotherapy news. Thanks for listening to this BJSM podcast.